Well, amen. Can somebody come put this down for me right quick? So a couple of you guys, and we'll just, uh, you know, the Lord. How many of y'all excited about what God's got to say to you tonight? Well, three of you are. That's good. I, uh, you know, the interesting thing, we're going to talk about the trading floor of heaven. I'm going to spend just a couple of minutes kind of recapping um, what, uh, what I went through or what I taught on last time. And um, we want to we wanna kind of catch everybody up. And we're going to go in part two. This is my best, best time. I uh, normally don't do it this far apart. I normally do it a lot closer together. And I do want to kind of give you guys a disclaimer. I've added a whole bunch of stuff in in the last two weeks into this teaching. So I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust that all of you read your Bible often. Is that okay? And I'm going to give you a lot of scriptures. You're going to want to take notes. I'll try to make it as clear as I can. And so I'm going to give you a lot of scriptures talking about the trading floor of heaven. But I want you to know that when we talk about the trading floors, God's going to do some radical stuff. Trish, stand up right quick. This is Trisha. She's here. So if y'all have not met her, this is my beautiful wife. Amen. We put her back on the plane to go back to Texas tomorrow. She's got a lot of work to do. But I talked her into staying tonight. How about that? And uh, just uh, so I'm excited to have her here, and it's just going to be a great time. Um, tomorrow night, I'm going to be presenting the same material as, as Michelle said. And uh, what we're going to do is we're going to actually um, be, be sharing this more. I want you guys to be praying. I'm getting several calls from a lot of different places about giving this material out. So y'all be praying with me as I kind of condense it down and get it ready. When we talk about the trading floors of heaven, we're talking about God as a trader, a T-R-A-D-E-R, not a traitor, a trader. Everybody say trader which basically means the Lord is trading. Last time when we met together, I used a scripture out of, out of Isaiah 118 where the Lord says, Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they'll be white as snow. Though they'll be red like crimson, they'll be like wool. On and on down the line. And what we talked about was is the power of what the Lord has called to reason with us. And I want you to understand, when God says, I want you to come and reason with me, he meant exactly that because what he wants you to do is he wants you to have encounters with him that take you into a higher realm. All right, everybody say a higher realm. We believe and we've been taught wrong in the church that if we give our lives to the Lord and we walk with Him that we'll have to do without in order to get. The truth is you don't have to do without in order to get from God. What you have to do is make a trade with the Lord to get greater than you already possess. Amen? And so the thing you need to understand when we talk about trading with the Lord is we're always trading up because the greater, who is God, is blessing the lesser, who is us. So God's always get making trades with us to take, her, take us into a higher dynamic uh, regardless of where we are. However, as I taught last week, and I'm not going to go, or two weeks ago, <coughs> and I won't go through all this, but uh, what we talked about was is every time God offers us a trade, the enemy offers a counter trade. And the counter trade that the enemy throws at us is always to take from us rather than to give to us. Even though he may lie to us and deceive us into making a trade that we're going higher, what happens is, is whenever we make a trade or make a deal or a compromise with the enemy, it's always to steal from us. Why? Because the scripture says the thief comes to what? Steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, I'm coming that you might have what? And more how? You see, the truth is, Jesus said, the thief's going to steal from you, but I'm going to give you life. And when I give you life, I'm going to give you abundance in life. Everybody say abundance. Say this with me. The Lord is always trading in abundance with us. 
So you also have to understand in Ephesians chapter 2.20 where, where the scripture talks about now God, now to him who is able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all that you could ask or think. What happens is the Lord is saying to us, what I want to do is I want to bless you beyond measure. In other words, I want to give you an opportunity to step into a realm with me where you experience the abundance. Well, the enemy comes. He will always counter offer. Now, what you got to understand about this, and I mentioned this last week, and then we're going to shift over into what I want to give you uh, tonight. When the enemy gives us a counter trade, it'll always come after the Lord has given us an opportunity. Now, why is that? You need to understand this. Satan is not omniscient. He only knows what he hears and what he's been told. Got it? Say that with me. Satan is not omniscient. He only knows what he's been told and what he hears. But you need to understand, only God is omniscient. So, you know, when the Lord makes a trade with you, he's making a trade. He's giving you an opportunity to step into something greater. At that particular time, the enemy hears it, and he'll come with a counterattack. That's why in Genesis, we talked about Adam and Eve. The Lord came and spoke to Adam and Eve. The serpent heard, and he gave a a counter trade, and whatever he did, Eve took the counter trade to the enemy. How did he know what to offer her? Because he listened to what God said. That's how he knew. And once he knew what God said, he said, I'm going to try to do this. And through the power of deception, everybody say deception. I want you to write down in your notes, in all capital letters, deception. Because Satan always operates through deception. He has to deceive you to take from you, but you don't have to make a trade with him. You don't have to compromise, and you don't have to be deceived by him. So you need to understand that that happens. And we talked about how Adam and Eve fell. We talked about King David. Whenever he agreed with Satan, he numbered the people. The pestilence came, and then he had to build an altar. We, we remember the, the uh, temptation of Jesus Whenever he came out of that 40 days of fasting and prayer with the Father, Satan came and met him, and he threw at him all these temptations, three major temptations. And in all three temptations, Jesus had already overcome. In other words, it was like, won't you make the stones bread? Jesus is looking at him and saying, really? I have manna from heaven to eat, and you're giving me rocks, right? And he comes back and says, I'm going to give you the kingdom of this world. And Jesus said, I was king on arrival. I was born king. I've got the kingdom already. All right. Well, I'm going to, if you get up on the pinnacle of the temple, I want you to throw yourself down. And, uh, and, and then the angels will give themselves charge concerning you. And Jesus says, really? I walk on water. You don't think air's a problem for me either? I can walk. You see, every trade, every temptation, everything that Satan threw at Jesus, Jesus had already overcome and had the authority to operate in. In the same way you and I have, the opportunity and the authority of the Lord to walk into new levels of relationship with him. So I want you to understand, when the Lord says, come let us reason, he's giving us an invitation to step into the realm of the kingdom. Now, trading with the Lord in the trading floors of heaven is a principle of the kingdom of God. We read in Matthew chapter 25, verse 16, and I'm just going gonna, gonna to give you these scriptures. A few I'm going to read to you, but a few I'm just going to talk to you about. In Matthew chapter 25, verse 16, in fact, if you look at verses 14 through 18, you read the parable of the talents. And the parable of the talents basically is whenever... The master came and he gave five talents, two talents, and one talent to three different servants. 
And the scripture says in verse 16 that the one he gave five talents to went and traded with them. Say traded. He traded with him. So Matthew 25 talks about how the one with five and the one with two traded their talents. In other words, they took what they had, they made trades with them, and they doubled what they had. Everybody say double. Now I'm going to tell you why double is important prophetically. You need to hear me. The year of 2019 will be a year of double return in the kingdom. It's going to be double, 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 double in 2019, all right? God's going to bring double, not just because you guys are having twins. I mean, it's great that you're getting that, but it's going to be double return. You're going to see double, double, double in 2019. Why? Because God is moving forward. That's a fresh word from heaven. You better write that one down. You see, the Lord wants you to understand that. Well, the guy who had the one talent went and hid it in the ground. Remember the story? He dug a hole, stuck it in there, waited till his master came back and he brought the one talent back. The one with five says, I traded with my five, I bring you ten. The two said, I traded with my two and I give you four. The one said, I took it, I hid it because I knew you were a hard man. I didn't want anybody to get it and I'm bringing back to you. And the master looked at him and said, you foolish servant. You foolish servant. You knew I, I expected return. But yet the other two, the Lord says, good and faithful servant to, right? And so the master was able to say those that trade are good and faithful. So you need to understand that the trading with God, the trading for what God has in the earth is a kingdom principle. It's something that Jesus taught because he blessed the one who had the five and the two and they made trades with him. So in trading with the Lord, in entering the trading floor of heaven, you've got to understand, God always trades with us in order to establish us in the earth. Does that make sense? The trades of heaven, I'm going to show you this in Scripture in a moment, but the trades of heaven literally bring us into a place of greatness. In Isaiah 61, 1 through 3, Isaiah 61, 1 through 3, the scripture talks about God traded, and, and this is what he said. I'm going to read that to you right quick because I want you to be able to get this in your spirit. It's really good. In Isaiah 61, I'll get there. It says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to the prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord, the day of the vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, grant those who mourn in Zion, giving them a garland instead of ashes, oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a spirit of fainting, so that they will be called the oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. What is God doing? He's saying, I want to make a trade with you. I'm coming to establish you. And this is what Isaiah said. The Spirit of the Lord was operating. The Lord had brought an anointing. He had released it upon the people. And as he began to release it upon them, the Scripture says that he gave them a garland instead of ashes, gladness instead of mourning, praise instead of fainting, so that they would be called the oaks of righteousness. So what the Lord was doing was he was giving them a trade in order to establish them in the earth so they would be known as a blessed people. Everybody say, blessed people. Now, the reason I want you to see that is this. When you begin to enter the trading floors of heaven, you literally are stepping into a place of trades with the Lord. You are literally trading. And as you begin to trade with the Lord, you're saying, Lord, what I'm doing is I'm going to take my ashes and I'm going to get your garland. 
God, I'm going to take my mourning and I'm going to get your oil of gladness. God, I'm going to take my fainting and I'm going to get a mantle of praise. God, I will be established. I'm trading everything that I have in, in me. I'm trading it with you so I can have in me what you want me to possess. And the Lord says that you will be planted as oaks of righteousness. And so the purpose of the trading floor of heaven is for God to get you to a place that you understand that he is establishing you. He's not taking from you. He is giving to you. And so when your heart is stirred, whenever your heart is beginning to receive something from the Lord, when you feel that stirring in your heart, you feel that stirring in your spirit, that is a sign that your trading floor is open. It's a sign that, hey, it's time for me to do something with the Lord. Trish and I have been, been sharing together this uh, a lot about this lately. I've been talking, and, and uh, we, we believe in the power of trading with the Lord. We believe in making trades. In fact, a couple of days ago, we were talking about how we need to make some, some trades ourselves. There's some offerings that we need to give, some things we need to do, and I'm going to talk about that in a moment. But I knew that as my heart is being trade, I'm, uh, is being, uh, as my heart is being stirred, I make a trade. I don't wait anymore. I, I used to to wait until they pass the offering bucket to give an offering. When my heart stirred, I just go up and throw it down to altar. And people just look at me like crazy. I'm making a trade right then. I'm not going to wait for somebody to ask me to do something when I know God's presenting something to me. I'm getting in on it right then. Amen? And a lot of people say, well, what is that about? It's about my heart is stirred. I'm not going to let the enemy talk me out of it. So I'm going to go ahead and do it right now. I'm going to plant, and I'm, gonna, I'm literally going to bless. I am going to make a trade with God. I'm going to sow a seed in the immediate time because I know God is doing something, all right? So you need to understand that when your heart is stirred, that's the sign. Now, let, let me talk to you about Old Covenant, and then we're going to go into New Covenant, all right? In the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, Building of altars was, was a place of trading with the Lord. They, they would build altars when something would happen. In Genesis chapter 12, God made a promise to Abram. And he came to him and he said, Abram, I'm going to do something for you. And he said, what I want you to understand is, is, is I'm going to give you a land. I'm going to make of you a great nation. And he gave him all this promise. And the Bible says, now this is what's interesting, God, the Bible says that Abram built an altar to the Lord and he worshiped there. What was he doing? He was building a place that he could pray and worship God because of what God had spoken to him, all right? Now listen, the trade was you're going to have a land and you're going to have a great nation. And Abram says, I'm going to step into it, so I'm going to build this altar and I'm going to worship at this place. And that altar became the place where he in his heart made that trade with the Lord and said to the Lord, Lord, I'm walking into this. I'm going to trade with you, God. I'm accepting what you're offering me. I'm accepting what you're presenting to me. And I now am presenting myself to you. So the altar was the trading place where you step into what God is wanting you to do. In Genesis chapter 22, we read the story of Abraham and Isaac. And you know the story about whenever God spoke to him and he said, I want you to go to the land of Moriah. And in Genesis chapter 22, he said, I'm going to show you the mountain there that I want you to go to. And I want you to take your son, your only son Isaac, and I want you to present him on an altar there. And he goes in and presents him. And if you remember the story, he had three days journey to get there. Everybody say three days. And in the three days journey as he went to that place, he was thinking about what God was asking of him. And during that three days, he was preparing to offer his only son Isaac. He got there, he built the altar, he laid out the wood, he bound his son, he laid him on the altar, he stretched back with a knife, he was about to thrust it in him and offer him to the Lord. And the angel of the Lord came and said, Stop, because God has offered a sacrifice. 
And he said, because I know that you mean business with me, this is what the Lord said, I'm going to provide for you something. And he took and he showed him a ram in the thicket. He took the ram and he offered the ram on the altar instead of his son Isaac. And if you'll remember at this time, and, and uh, I, I usually teach on this a long time, but how many of y'all been taught that at that time he called God Jehovah Jireh? How many of y'all been heard sermons and teachings that that was a place he called God Jehovah Jireh? But the, that's not true. Because in Genesis chapter 22, it says whenever he offered the ram in place of his son, he called the name of that place, say place. He called the name of the place Jehovah Jireh, God provides. For in the mountain of the Lord, he will provide. Now, why is that important? <clears throat> because on Moriah, in that mountain, Abraham was able to offer to God the sacrifice that the Lord had called for. He thought it was his son, his only son Isaac, but God made a trade on that mountain and the ram became the sacrifice. However, what Abraham did on that mountain was literally a prophetic act of what would take place thousands of years later because in that exact identical same place, thousands of years later, Jesus Christ died on the cross and he became the lamb slain before the foundation of the earth. And there on that mountain, that Abraham was to offer Isaac. God offered his only begotten son for you and I that our sins would be forgiven and God made a, a trade at that place. Abraham declared the place Jehovah Jireh and Jehovah did Jireh 2,000 years later when Jesus died. He became the trade for us. Isn't that amazing? 2,000 years later, Abraham called it God provided and guess what God did? He provided 2,000 years later. He took it out of animal sacrifice. He made one sacrifice for all mankind, for all sin of the all, all the world and at that place, that holy mountain became a trade with God for you and I. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> I love this stuff. And in 2 Corinthians 5.21, Paul writes this. For he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. See, we don't know what the link is. Sometimes we don't realize, well, Abraham just made a trade. No, Abraham didn't just make a trade. Abraham did something that was a prophetic act that God would say to the world, you pay attention to what happened over here on that day. I provided for a sacrifice for you, but thousands of years later, God says, I'm taking on the whole world. And now I'm going to make a trade with man and your salvation is a trade with God. When you were born again, you invited Christ to come into your life. When he forgave every sin of your life, you made a trade and all of your sin was placed on him at the cross and you became all of his righteousness at one time. Everybody says to me, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. How many of y'all know that's a good trade? So you got to understand the power of the trade. you got to see what God was doing. Because in that trade, God did something great. And he, and, he, and he built an altar. That altar became the place. The cross was an altar. It was a place where the trade was made. How many of y'all remember the Garden of Gethsemane? Mark chapter 14, verses 32 through 42. Okay, I'm not going to read it. I'm just going to make mention of it. But in the Garden of Gethsemane, if you remember, Jesus went to Gethsemane, and, he, and he, he, he began to pray. He took his 12 disciples with him. He went into the garden, 
He told nine of them, you guys stay here and pray. He took three with him. He went a little deeper into the garden, a little further. He took the three and he said, now you guys watch and pray. I'm going to go a little further and I'm going to pray. And in the garden of Gethsemane, Jesus went further into the garden. He prayed for an hour, came back, and they were sound asleep. Y'all remember the story? And he woke them up and he said, hey guys, listen. My soul, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. I need you to watch and pray with me. Even though your flesh is struggling, even though your flesh is weak, your spirit must be attentive. And Jesus began to talk to him, uh, talk to them about staying with him. And it was interesting. He went back and prayed the second time, came back and found him asleep. He went in the third time and he settled. What was Gethsemane about? The Bible says that when he went and prayed, he said, Father, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me, not my will, but your will be done. Did you know the Garden of Gethsemane was a trading floor with Jesus? Do you understand that when Jesus went into the Garden of Gethsemane and he took his disciples with him, he literally was going and he was praying this prayer, Father, if there's any other way you can do this, let's do it another way. It was in Gethsemane. He was making a trade with God. And Gethsemane was the place that Jesus settled once and for all his obedience of stepping into the cross. Isn't that amazing? Up until that time, he was saying, Father, if we can do this another way, is there another option? Is there another trade? God, is there any other way we can do this? And it was at Gethsemane that he settled forever. And whenever he came out the third time and found them asleep, he said, wake up. My betrayers are at hand. I've got to step into it. And Jesus decided in Gethsemane once and for all that he would go completely to the cross. He wasn't going to back away. He wasn't going to change his mind. He made a covenant relationship with God in the trade in Gethsemane that took him through the persecution and the scourging and he was nailed on the cross for you and I but it didn't stop there after he died he was put in the grave for three days whenever they rolled the stone in he went into hell preached to the captives in prison declared to them and came out the third day alive with the keys of death, life and the grave and Jesus said I'm holding the keys I am king forevermore and he settled the issue that's a trade worth having isn't it Gethsemane was a trade. A lot of people say, how did he go through the cross? Because in Gethsemane, he made a trade. He got on his face. And you know what happened? That in the new covenant, in the new relationship, in the new testament that we have, prayer becomes a place of our trading floor with the Lord. We don't build altars anymore, but we have places of prayer. And a lot of times we call into church, you know, here we come to the altar. We call this the altar. Why do we call this altar? Because it's a place of prayer. It's a place where we make that trade with the Lord. It's a place where we say to God, God, I choose to build an altar to you. I choose to build that altar. That altar became that place of prayer. It's just kind of like Abram when he built an altar to the Lord, when he made a promise. He didn't offer a sacrifice on that altar, but he gave that place a place of worship, a place of prominence, and that place of prayer. In the New Testament, we see Jesus establishing in the altars of prayer, if I can use that term, trading floors. He taught us how to trade through the power of prayer. And I'm telling you right now, your prayer life is extremely significant in the trades that you make. Intimacy with the Father is, in, is extremely significant in the place of making trades with the Lord. You know why? Because when you hear the voice of the Lord, you respond by trading with him. You're saying to the Lord, Lord, what, what I want to do is I want to come and I want to step into this place. I want to step into this encounter, God. I want to build an altar to you because, God, I know you're doing something that is so significant. And so at Gethsemane, when Jesus established 
that trading floor with the Father that I'm going all the way, he didn't just stop at dying on the cross. He continued through until he arose from the dead the third day. Everybody say the third day. Isn't it interesting that Abraham had to go a three days journey and on the third day he got to the mountain. And on the third day is when Jesus came out of the grave once and for all. You see, if there were no resurrection, there wouldn't be a trade for salvation. If Jesus would have stayed in the grave, he'd have been like everyone else and there wouldn't have been a covenant. But because he came out on the third day, the third day was about the overcoming. That was a trade. And literally when he walked out on the third day, and he said, I have the keys of death, hell, and the grave. It was on that third day that he established real covenant with you and I. But it didn't stop there. Because we got to understand the power of covenant relationship going forward. We need to understand that when we make covenant with the Lord, when we walk in the fullness of the trades of heaven, we see God doing interesting things. Luke chapter 24, 49. Jesus came out of the grave the third day. He's walking around, and for a period of 40 days, he's reasoning with them things concerning the kingdom of God. And he tells them in Luke 24, 49, he said, I want you to stay in the city until you're endued with power from on high. What did he tell them? Stay in the city. Why did he tell them to stay in the city? He said, because there's going to come a power that's going to rest on you. You need to stay here until. Say, everybody say, stay here until. Why is it important that they stay here until? Because when God makes trades with us and we make trades with the Lord, we need to be careful that we don't jumpstart and miss what God's saying. We need to be careful that we don't get ahead of the Lord. We need to learn how to walk in obedience to the Lord. However, at the same point, you don't need to be behind either. And Jesus told him, he said, I want you to stay here until you're in due with power on high. Then came Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. They were all together in one accord. They were praying. In, in, in Acts chapter 1, if you read the story, the Bible says that they were all in one place. They were praying and they were waiting on what Jesus said would come. What were they waiting for? They were waiting on the power. They were waiting on a trade from heaven. There was a promise that was given to them. And guys, listen to me. When God gives you a promise, he's making a trade with you. However, you've got to meet the conditions of the trade. You see, a lot of times God makes us promises and we say, God, why didn't you come through? Why didn't you come through? And the question is, did I keep my end of the trade in order for God to do what I needed to do? Do you realize that there were over four or 500 people that heard Jesus say, wait until you're endued with power on high and only 120 were left 10 days later? What happened to all the other people? They didn't meet the conditions of the trade. You see, many walked away because they didn't think the Lord was going to deliver on his promise. And guys, listen to me. When the Lord makes you a promise, he's making a trade with you that he will fulfill. All of the promises of God are yes and amen. And I'm telling you, there's not a promise in your life that God will make you that he will not fulfill. He's not a man that he should lie. And even though we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. And through the power of faith, God always fulfills his promise to us. And when Pentecost came, 120 people out of four or 500, 120 people waited and the power came. And when the power came, the trade of heaven came on mankind. What happened? 120 people 
endued with the power of Holy Spirit, began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And guess what happened? 3,000 people out in the, in the streets of the city will radically change because God did something. Now listen to me. Everybody say, I'm listening. When God makes a trade with you, it's not always just about you. It's about everybody that's affected in your life. 120 people made a trade with God and over 3,000 people came to Jesus. <laughs> How many of y'all know that's a good trade? What did they do? They traded 10 days of their lives, what they did. They stayed put until, say until. What did they stay put until? Until the Lord fulfilled his promise in their life. And when they made that trade with heaven, and what were they doing during that 10 days? They were praying. They were praying. They were praying. They were aligning themselves with the Lord. Prayer becomes an altar that we make trades with God in. And that 120 people had such a move of God in their life that Pentecost released a power upon their life. The supernatural hit the church. And out of that, 3,000 were saved. Peter and John walked. Out of that place, they were going to the place of prayer. They were going to the temple to pray at the ninth hour, I believe it was. They walked by a man at the gate called Beautiful. They reached out and said, Silver and gold have I none, but what I have I give to you in the name of Jesus. Rise up and walk. Everybody say, that's a trade. Here's the trade. The trade is, you're begging for money. That's not what you need. I'll tell you what we'll do in the name of Jesus you'll rise up and walk. And they reached out. The scripture says Peter reached out to him, grabbed him, seized his hand, and the man leapt up and began running. He stood upright and began walking and running, leaping and praising God through the temple. What happened? A trade was made. How many people were born again out of that? Say 5,000. In a matter of a couple of days, 8,000 people came to know Jesus because of the trade of Pentecost. And then it's been uphill ever since. It's been an exponential increase ever since. You know why? Because some people were willing to make a trade. You see, Pentecost is about trading. What's it doing? It's about trading my life for what God's wanting to do. You see, in Acts chapter 9, Saul made a trade. You see, you've got to understand that one thing that we have to grab hold of is this concept that in the Old Testament, altars were the places of trade. In the New Testament, the, the, the prayer and, and the presence of the Lord became the place of trade. Prayer always takes you into the place of his presence. That's why prayer is so significant. And so we understand that in the presence of the Lord. So we see in Acts chapter 9, Saul's running along the road. He's headed down to Damascus. He's got letters in his hand. He's going to persecute the church. And in Acts chapter 9, verses 3 through 19, Saul has an encounter with the Lord Jesus, and he makes a trade. He has a bright light encounter. He falls down on the, on the ground. He goes blind. He gets up. They lead him to a certain place. God goes and speaks to one of, one of the disciples, Ananias. He said, go down there to Saul. I've got him set at this place. Go down there. I want you to say, and he said, Lord, do you really want me to do this? This dude kills guys like me. The Lord says, he's a chosen vessel of mine. Go down there. I've already dealt with him. You know what happened? Whenever he hit the ground under the presence of the Lord Jesus, he made a trade. It took him three days, say three days. Isn't it interesting that God works so much in three days? And then three days later, when Ananias got down there and began to tell him what happened, the scripture says that the scales fell off of his eyes. Ananias told him what his destiny and his purpose was. He received Jesus and he baptized him right there. And he got up and he ate food and was strengthened. What happened? There was a trade. 
You see, trades always come when we have divine encounters with the Lord. And you and I got to understand, when God starts knocking on the door of our heart and our spirit, it's because he's making a trade. He's trading us for destiny. You see, Saul was headed in the wrong direction until God got a hold to him and through the divine encounter of the Lord Jesus Christ in that trade, he was turned around. That's why I tell people, listen, when God is dealing with your life, when the Lord is speaking to you about destiny and there comes a divine encounter, don't think, well, that's a, that's a little deal. That's a huge deal because God's trading your destiny. Saul became Paul, who became the greatest missionary in the New Testament. You see, we've got to understand the power of the trades that come and understanding that, that trades actually begin to take place because we walk in divine favor with the Lord. <coughs> so when the Lord is dealing with you about anything in your life, it is for the purpose of bringing you into a greater. And, and, you, can, and you need to understand that even concerning your destiny, your career, where you're headed with your life, what God's going to do with you, these are holy trades that bring you into greater opportunity, greater destiny, and the greater things of the Lord. Now let's talk about, let's talk about the mediator. In, in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 6, the scripture says Jesus is a mediator of a greater covenant, a new covenant. The word mediator is a trading term, and I want you to see this, all right? And then we're going to talk about Melchizedek, and we're going to talk about money and finances and so on and so forth. But whenever Jesus became the mediator of a new covenant, the word mediator there, the, the word given to him basically means that he was the one who oversaw a trade. As he became mediator of a new covenant, what he did was he began to be the high priest. Everybody say high priest. In the Jewish religion, there were priests and there were high priests. But when Jesus came, he became the high priest. And he became the mediator of a new covenant. And in mediating the new covenant, Jesus began establishing for you and I greater returns than we could ever have. In fact, whenever you read in the book of Hebrews in 7 and 8, and we're going to look at 7 here in just a moment, but in 7 and 8, he talks about how that the old covenant was fulfilled. That's why Jesus said, I did not come to destroy the law and the prophets. I came to what? Fulfill them. So in the fulfillment of the old covenant, Jesus stepped into the new covenant, and when he became mediator of the new covenant, not only did he fulfill the law and the prophets, but now he initiated a covenant of the Spirit. In other words, the new covenant, the covenant of the Spirit, became the covenant that Jesus began to oversee. And what he does as a mediator is he sees to it that the covenantal promises of God that are assigned to you are fulfilled in your life. You see, he became the mediator and he made covenant in establishing the power of the covenant. So in the new covenant, we operate under the order of Melchizedek, all right? Now, I want you to look with me. This is where you probably need to turn your Bibles with me. I want you to go over to Genesis chapter 14. We see Melchizedek show up, and, and I want you to be able to get this because going forward, this is, this is going to be very powerful, all right? And if you'll give me about 30 more minutes, we're going to try to wrap this thing up, okay? In Genesis chapter 14, we read where uh, Abram actually had an encounter with Melchizedek. In uh, Genesis chapter 14, uh, verse 17, beginning in verse 17, uh, really through verse 20, it says, Then after the return from the defeat of, of uh, Chedorlaomer 
And the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom, went out to meet him at the valley of Shava, that is the king's valley. Now look at this in verse 18 through 20. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought bread and wine. Everybody say bread and wine. Now I want you to remember bread and wine. Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought bread and wine. Now he was a priest of God most high. And he blessed Abram and said, Blessed be Abram of God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a tenth of all. That was one of the first trades that we read in Scripture. What happened? Uh, well, let me back up. That's one of the first good trades we see in Scripture. A Adam and Eve kind of blew it on that trade. But then Abram comes along and Melchizedek comes out and he brings bread and wine and he blesses him. He speaks a blessing. He decrees a blessing over him. And Abram turns around and he said, Now I'm going to give you a tenth of all that I have. All the spoils that come in, I'm going to give you a tenth of all because of the blessing that you have put in my life. Now everybody, everybody say I'm listening. How much did Abram have before he gave a tenth to Melchizedek? Say 100%. Turn your neighbor and say, he had it all. Because he had it all, when Melchizedek blessed him, Abram, in turn, gave a tenth of all that he had to Melchizedek, who was priest of the Most High God. He gave him a tenth of it all, and out of that tenth, he honored him because of the blessing that was put upon his life. But Melchizedek brought out bread and wine. Everybody say bread and wine. Now, why is that important? You can be turning over to Hebrews chapter 7 if you want. Why is that so important that you understand this deal about bread and wine? How many of y'all remember the last supper Jesus had with his disciples? What did, what did Jesus bring to his disciples at the close of that meal? What did he bring and make covenant with them over? Bread and what? Wine. He took the bread and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. He took the cup of wine and he said, this is my blood that is shed for you for the remission of your sin. And you know what he did? He took the bread and the wine and he presented to his disciples and he said, this is a way I'm making covenant with you and this is how you're going to remember the covenant that I made and you're going to know that I brought you a covenant of life. Isn't it interesting, Melchizedek, let me just go ahead and cut to the chase. Melchizedek is Jesus. And when Abram had an encounter with Jesus in Genesis chapter 14, Jesus brought him bread and wine, cut covenant with him. He received the covenant, gave a tenth of all that he had to the Lord, to Melchizedek. In that same way, Jesus made covenant with his disciples at the Last Supper. He said, here's the bread and the wine, and he made that covenant with them. He was presenting them a trade. And the bread and the wine that, that takes place in Genesis chapter 14 with Melchizedek is not a coincidence. It was a prophetic declaration. It literally was the Lord speaking to Abram and saying to him, I'm going to bless the covenant that I made with you. I'm going to keep my promise. Abraham at that point was not told, or Abram was not told to give a tenth of what he had. He gave a tenth of what he had because he wanted to honor what just happened to him. And the tenth became an opportunity, not of law, but of honor. 
And a lot of times people, you know, I tell people this whenever I'm talking to them about the, uh, the whole trading floor thing, it, you'll, look at, you'll look at tithing totally different. We're going to talk about that in a minute. I, I've been taught all my life, you pay your tithe, you pay your tithe, you pay your tithe. But I was never taught that tithing is not about just obedience. Tithing is about honoring God with what he's given me. It's about me making a trade with the Lord. And I'm going to show you this. It's going to be really interesting because you see that in Genesis 14, when Abram gave a tenth of what he had, he came unto the Lord and he said, Lord, here it is. Now let's look in, in Hebrews chapter 7, all right? And uh, let's back up in verse 1. We're going to read a, a number of these scriptures. And it says, For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham as he was returning from the slaughter of the king's and blessed him, to whom Abraham apportioned a tenth of all of the spoils, was first of all by translation of his name, King of Righteousness, and also King of Salem, which is King of Peace. Does that sound anything like Jesus to you? Melchizedek was Jesus. Without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God, he abides. A priest, how long? Everybody say perpetually. He he. He, was, he abides as a priest perpetually. Now observe how great this man was to whom Abraham the patriarch gave a tenth of his choicest spoils. And those indeed of the sons of Levi who received the priest's office have commandment in the law to collect a tenth from the people, that is, from their brethren, although these are descendants or descended from Abraham. But the one whose genealogy is not traced from them collected a tenth from Abraham and blessed the one who had the promises, but without any dispute, the lesser is blessed by the greater. And in this case, mortal men receive tithes, but in that case, one receives them of whom it is written that he lives on. And so to speak, as though Abraham, even Levi, who received tithe, paid tithes, for he still was in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. What basically was he saying there? He was basically saying this. There was an established a Melchizedek order. It was an order based upon honor. It was an order based upon a desire to bless. It was based upon an order of the high priest, the greater blessing, the lesser. It was about Abram responding to the Lord because of the blessing of God that had come into his life. And it was even so that the Lord established this whole issue of tithes. Now, Tithing is not about paying, it's about honoring and giving unto the Lord, all right? So what happens is when you begin to pay a tithe to the Lord, you bring your tithes, your offerings to the Lord, it's at that point that the tithe becomes an element of trade. And what happens is you're making a trade. You're not just saying, I'm giving a tenth. Now everybody say this to me. God gives me 100% and I bring a tithe to him. Now, Look at Malachi chapter 3 because we've got to see the, the fulfillment of this because it's really, it's really a good thing. What happened was is in, when, when they brought their tithe to the Lord, they were saying, Lord, I recognize you give me 100. When I, when I, I got paid Friday, all right? When I got paid Friday, I automatically set aside 10% of what I received in my paycheck. I got 100. Everybody say, I got 100. I took a tenth of it, and I, I actually put my tithe, and I made a trade with the Lord. Now, what, what God gave me a hundred, and a lot of times it, what we think about and what the enemy will do when we get to this thing of tithing, because I have people 
and have had for the, for the 43 years of ministry that I've been serving the Lord. I've had people come to me and say, well, I need the Lord to bless me so I can tithe. I said, did you get a paycheck this week? They said, yes. I said, he's already blessed you. You see, what the enemy wants to come in and say to you, now wait a minute, you can't tithe because you don't have enough money. You need God to bless you some more, so you need to wait until another blessing comes. You know what he's trying to do? He's trying to rob you out of your obedience to the Lord, out of what God's already given you, and steal from you the opportunity of abundance. You see, the truth is, is when we come to the Lord and we receive our paycheck, just like I got this past Friday, I took a tenth of that paycheck, and I started a trade with the Lord. I took from the hundred he gave me 10%, and I said to the Lord, this is holy to you. Now, let's look in Malachi chapter 3, and I want you to be able to see this. Beginning in verse 2, But who can endure the day of his coming, and who shall stand when he appears, for he is like a refiner's fire, like a fuller soap, and he will set as a smelter and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, so that they may present to the Lord offerings in what? Righteousness. Everybody say righteousness. Do you realize that it's important that you purify your offering? And that you purify your offering and you offer it to the Lord in righteousness? Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord so that as in the days of old, as in the former uh, years, then I will draw near to you for judgment and I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers and against the adulterers and against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the wage earner in his wages, the widow and the orphan and those who turn aside the alien. Do not fear me and those who do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you sons of Jacob are not consumed. Now look at verse 7. From the days of your father, you have turned aside from my statutes, have not kept them. And return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord. But you say, how shall we return? And the Lord says, will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you in tithes and in offerings? You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Now this is his trade, all right? Here's his trade, verse 10. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so there may be food in my house and test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. Then I will rebuke the devourer for you so that may not destroy the fruit of your ground nor will your vine in the field cast its grapes, says the Lord of hosts, and all the nations will call you blessed for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. So here's what God said. God says, I want to make a trade. And he said, there were those before you that robbed me because they didn't bring their tithes and their offerings to me. And so when we say I cannot tithe, what we're saying is, Lord, you're not blessing me enough to bless you. You're saying to the Lord, Lord, I, I, I can't bless you because you hadn't blessed me enough. Guys, let me tell you, God gives you a hundred, you give a tenth, and you're going to turn loose the windows of heaven over you again. Because you see, the, the thing about it is, God gives you a measure, and once you dedicate that measure back to him in a trade, this is what he said, bring the whole tithe into the sore house so there may be food in my house, and test me. You know what he says when he says test me? He's offering you a trade. He's saying, okay, if you'll do this, put me to the test and see if I won't return. And this is what he said. 
When you do that, I'll open the windows of heaven over you. I'll pour out on you a blessing until it overflows. I'll rebuke the devourer for you. And your, and your uh, vines will not be destroyed, nor will the fruit be destroyed and be cast into the field. You know what the Lord says? I'm going to give you a five-fold return of promise based upon your tenth that you bring to me. I'm going to open the windows of heaven. I'm going to rebuke the devourer. You're going to have good grapes on your vines. You're not going to lose the fruit of your vine. Do you know why Isaac was able to sow in the land and reap a hundredfold in that same year? Because he brought the offerings to the Lord. He honored God with what he had. Now, what was amazing was Isaac sowed in the land in the land or in the time of famine. And during the time of famine, when he sowed in the land, he was able to bring in a hundredfold return when everyone else brought nothing. Why was he able to bring a hundredfold return? Because he understood covenant, relationship, and he was honoring God. <clears throat> and so when we read in Malachi, we read about how God's promises is coming to us. Now, where does all this tie together with Melchizedek and living under the order of Melchizedek and bringing a tenth of all we have? Because when we bring a tenth to the Lord, when we bring our tithes, when we bring our offerings, we're making a trade. Our tithe opens the windows of heaven. Our offerings began to release a greater flow of the blessing of heaven over our lives. So we got to understand that our, our money, our tithes and our offerings, they declare for us. It's a testimony. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 23 through 26, you got to understand that your money is a testimony for you. How you give, the way you give. There is a testimony attached to your offering. When you, when you give, you're giving a testimony. And how you give is extremely important. James chapter 5 is another passage of Scripture where the Lord says our offerings become a witness for us or a witness against us. And so you need to understand that every time that you bring a tithe and an offering to the Lord, say a tithe and an offering, you're making a trade. Yesterday, you guys had a Thanksgiving offering, right? Is, am I, is that right? Well, that Thanksgiving offering was an offering that was above your tithe. Your tithes were not part of that offering. The offering came after the tithe. The tithe is what I do in honor to God because he blessed me with 100%. I bring him a tenth. The windows of heaven is opened over me, and out of that, then I'm able to give other offerings. There are alms offerings. There are first fruit offerings. There are all kinds of offerings that go along. People ask me all the time, and I won't have time to teach on this tonight, but people ask me, is a first fruit offering a tithe? No, it's not. A first fruit is not a tithe, and a tithe is not a first fruit. We've been taught erroneously for years that your tithe is a first fruit to the Lord. It's not. Your tithe is an honor and fulfillment of the word of the Lord. A first fruit offering is exactly that. It's the first in, in beginning in Exodus 23, Exodus 32, Leviticus chapter 24, in these three passages of Scripture, the Lord gives direction about a first fruit offering. And here's the first fruit offering. They sowed in the field. They raised their crops. And a farmer would go out at the time of harvest, and he would gather. And let's say, for instance, he was sowing wheat or barley or oats. Out of those crops, they would gather together in a sheath. A sheath was a measure of in which they were able to gather, and they traded with sheaths. 
And so what they would do in the first fruit offering is the Lord says the first is holy to me. When they take the first fruit, the first sheath out of the field, what they would do is, you got to see this, they would go out to their field, they would gather the first sheath, then they would stop the gathering. They would stop the harvest. They would take that first sheath, they would go and take it to the high priest or to the priest that was in, 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 in uh, the temple of that day. They would offer that first sheath. The priest would take it and he would wave it before the Lord and it became a wave offering and it became a first fruit of what had grown in the field. And when they wave that before the Lord, the Lord says, a first fruit is holy to me. And because the first is holy, the rest is holy. And they literally believed that when they would take that first sheath, wave it before God, give it to the priest, God would call it holy, the priest would declare holiness over their field. Then they would go back and they believed when they would gather the rest of the harvest that what was in the field would be multiplied and they would have a greater harvest that was in the field. Then they would go back and they would harvest the whole field and they would take a tenth of that harvest as their tithe unto the Lord. Got it? So what happened was the first, the first sheath was the first fruit that made the rest holy to the Lord. God said the first male calf out of the cow is holy to the Lord. It either had to be taken to the priest and redeemed as a first fruit offering so that that cow would produce greater offspring whenever they would offer it to the Lord that first male calf became the first fruit if they did not offer it to the Lord they had to break its neck and kill it now do you want to know what the prophetic significance of that is about Christ was the first fruit of God to us and because there was no one greater to God this is, listen go back and read this in Hebrews chapter 6 it is the most phenomenal thing I love it it says when the Lord when God could find no greater he swore by himself <laughs> he said because there was no greater he swore to himself and you know what Jesus Christ was the firstborn. he was the only begotten son of God can you say amen he was a first fruit of the Lord. And because he was a first fruit of the Lord, he could not be given back to God and presented to the high priest because there was none greater than him. Therefore, Jesus Christ, as a first fruit of mankind for the redemption of mankind, he could not be redeemed, be redeemed by presenting to the priest. He had to be slain before the foundation of the world. He had to be killed and hung on a cross and his blood shed, run into the ground to redeem you and I. Why? Because he was the first fruit. God had to take his life in order to redeem ours. And because he was the first fruit, we became the rest that was made holy to the Lord. Oh, I'm, excuse me, I'm getting excited. <laughs> he was the first fruit. You and I are made holy because of him. That's what he did on the cross. It's because God says, I can't swear by any greater than myself. I can't present to me him. I've got to take him, and I've got to kill him. I've got to crucify him. I've got to slay him because all those people down on the earth, that's the rest of my harvest, and if they're going to be made holy, he's got to die on the cross, and Jesus became a train for me and you. And you're worried about giving God your stinking money and your time and your effort for crying out loud, church, we need to wake up. Yeah. 
We're holy because of what he did. Mm -hmm. Excuse me. I'm going to have to have a Pentecostal moment here. His first fruit. First fruit's holy to the Lord. One of my spiritual sons was telling me a story of first fruit, and he said, it's crazy. I, I planted these tomato plants, and I was reading about first fruits, and he said, I did, you weren't here, and I couldn't give my first fruit to you. So he said, the only thing I could do is I took the first tomato off that vine. He said, I threw that thing on the ground, and I crushed it, and I smeared it in the ground. My wife said, what are you doing? He said, I'm giving this to the Lord. This is a first. And he said, I took the first tomato off every one of those vines. We had four vines. He said, I took the first tomato off every vine. I threw it on the ground. I crushed it, and I said, God, because... My apostle is not here to give. I am committing this to you as a first fruit offering. And he ground it into the ground. And he said, Father, I call it holy to you. If I can't present it to my priest, God, I'm going to present it to you. And he destroyed it, and he pushed it into the ground. He said, my crazy tomato vines, he lives just outside Lexington, Kentucky. He said, we were pulling tomatoes off that plant in December when snow was on the ground. He said, my tomato plants... Everybody else has quit in October. Mine were barren in December. My neighbors were coming by and saying, what did you do to those tomato plants? You're getting tomatoes off your tomato plants. He said, because I first fruited, it was holy to the Lord. And he said, we were giving away tomatoes in December. Because the first is holy, the rest is holy. It's a principle. It's a principle. Well, how does that work with me today and my money? Okay, I get I, the other day, this is what happened. The board of directors, I, I don't set my salary. My board of directors set my salary. They gave me a, a little bit of a raise, kind of a cost of living raise. That first raise I got, that first raise I got, that first sum, I can't remember exactly what it was, but that first sum I got, I took all of that raise. Okay, let's call it 100 bucks. all right? That, that first $100, I got a $100 raise. That first $100 raise I got on my paycheck, I took that whole $100 and I presented that as a first fruit offering to the Lord. The next pay period, I took $10 of that 100 and that became my tithe. And so a lot of people say, well, how do you first fruit? You take, you take the first, the first is holy to the Lord. And what I did was I took that first, I waved it before the Lord, presented it as an offering to the Lord and I gave a first fruit offering, the whole amount, that whole raise, that first paycheck I gave, I waived it, I honored God. And then after that, I paid my tithe, my $10 off that 100 See, that's holy to the Lord. You say, well, what's that all about? Because I want the rest of it to be blessed. I, get, I, I make it holy at the beginning so that everything that behind it gets holy. <laughs> Amen? That's how you first fruit. I forever, the first fruit, you know what I do every year? This is what, I'm not saying you ought to do this. Let me just tell you how I keep the windows of heaven open. Let me tell you how I make a trade with the Lord. The Lord says because the first is holy, the rest is holy. Years ago, Trish and I started at the beginning of the year uh, when we learned about first fruits. We weren't in a place where we could give a whole paycheck. We started giving a day, a, a year. And we worked up now to where we give a whole week's paycheck to the Lord. At the beginning of every year, we present to the Lord as a first fruit offering one week's paycheck. 
And we wave that before the Lord. We honor God and we say, Father, because this first week is holy, we give you a whole week's pay for the rest of the 52 weeks of this year. And we call it holy to the Lord. This year we did that. Three weeks later we had four times what we gave back and we can't figure out where it came from. Isn't that crazy? You know why? Because we opened the windows of heaven in a trade with, with the Lord. And we st- and in the second week, we just paid our tithe. You know, we started paying our tithe every week off of what we made. You see, a lot of people don't understand first fruits. They don't understand what happens. Well, what happens when you give first fruits? God begins to open the winds of heaven over you. And, and you begin realizing the power of the trade. When God, when God comes and he brings us into a place where we understand how it is that we step into the greater of what he brings. Uh, Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10 is another story. Look in Acts 10, all right? And I've got about eight minutes. I'm going to try to wrap this up. <coughs> in Acts chapter 10 is another story of Cornelius. And whatever, Cornelius came before the Lord. And I want you to be able to see this. You need, a lot of people don't realize how all this begins to happen in the trading floors of heaven that are open but, but there's something about what Cornelius did that was very powerful because his money began to speak for him. It says, Now there was a certain man, verse 1, named Cor- at Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of what is called the Italian cohort, a devout man, one who feared God with all his household, gave many alms. Say alms. An alm was an offering. He gave many alms to the Jewish people and prayed to God continually. And about the ninth hour of the day, he clearly saw in a vision an angel of the Lord who had just come to him and said to him, Cornelius, and fixed his eyes upon him. The angel spoke to him, told him what to do, go down and get Peter. Peter needs to come. Peter's up the next day. He's on the housetop. He has this vision. He sees all this stuff. The, the, the Lord came and says, Peter, I want you to go with the guys that are going to come to you. And, and while he was reflecting on the vision, these guys showed up. He went to Cornelius' house. And this is what they said. Cornelius, verse 22, a centurion righteous and God-fearing man, well spoken of by the entire nation of the Jews, was divinely directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and hear a message from you. And he invited him. He went in. You know the rest of the story. He went down to Cornelius. Now, let me tell you this. What happened? Cornelius, Cornelius opened, opened the gospel of the kingdom to him and his whole house because of what he did. Look, look back if you would. Verse 2, he was devout, he feared God, he gave alms, and he prayed. Because he did those four things, God looked over the banister of heaven and said, there's a man that's chasing me. I'm going after him. And God spoke to him and said, you just send some guys over to this house and there's a guy named Peter and you have him come and he's going to give you the message of eternal life. And Peter goes down there, he starts talking to Cornelius and the Holy Spirit fell on them. They all started speaking in tongues and carrying on and Peter said, oh no, they got what we got. Peter went and baptized them and the whole house of Cornelius, him and his whole house got saved. Isn't that amazing? They received the power of Holy Spirit. They had an encounter with the Lord. And you know what opened the door? The thing that opened the door was the fact that he was devout, he feared God, he gave alms. You see, his money was a trade. It was a transaction. His prayer life was a transaction. He prayed to God continually, and it was because of what happened at Cornelius' house that you and I are sitting in this room tonight hearing the gospel message of Jesus because Cornelius was the one who opened the door to the Gentiles to hear the message of salvation. It was Cornelius and what he did in making his trades with God that brought you and I to this place 
that we are recipients of what God did. Don't tell me God doesn't honor trades. I'm telling you God is looking for people who will make a trade with him because the next generations that follow will have an effect because of our trades. <laughs> you say, well, God was going to get it to everybody. Yes, he was, but he had to use somebody to get it to everybody. Now somebody come on and shout. There had to be somebody that opened the door. And you know what? Cornelius opened the door. You see, we got to understand this trading thing is a lot deeper than we realize. And we got to understand that his money spoke volumes. His money spoke depths of, of wisdom and life and truth. And it's just amazing because we see the power of the trades that come. In James chapter 5, he talks about how those how you come in verses 1 through 4 he talks about the money and the Lord of hosts and the Lord of Sabbath and, and how he honors that and he talks about the whole aspect of what that does so you and I need to understand when we bring our alms when we bring our offerings to the Lord when we sow our seed we're, we're, we're literally making transactions we're making trades of heaven a lot of us have been taught seed time and harvest any of y'all know about seed time and harvest we plant a seed we give an offering there's an honor to the Lord but here's, here's one of the biggest problems that we've had in the church. Well, if I give my offering, I don't need to expect anything from the Lord. Guys, that's a lie straight out of hell. When you give your offerings, you're making a trade with the Lord. You need, you need to expect that the Lord is going to bless what you bring Him. And I'm not saying that you need to give to get. I'm just saying you need to give understanding a reward comes in your giving. It begins, and I teach people this everywhere I go, the tithe is the beginning of opening the door. But then you begin reaching out in fresh offerings and making trades with the Lord, and you begin living the abundance of the kingdom because of what God does. Somebody asked me one day, I said, well, do, you, do you tithe? I said, no, I passed that a long time ago. If I just gave 10%, I'd be ripping myself off big time. I, we're, we're, we're way up now. And you know why? Because we have chosen to walk in the trades of heaven and to say to the Lord, Lord, I'm going to honor you. I'm going to bless you. God, I'm stepping way beyond because I understand what you do. I understand my money is a witness. My money and the things I have is a witness for me or is it is a witness against me. And I don't want God to say, your money was a witness of you being stingy and greedy. I want him to say, your money is a witness to your blessing and your bountiful and, and the fact that you are generous and you give, but you honor me. That's what I want it to be, amen? So we gotta see the power of that. But as we trade, as we bring offerings to God, we're saying to the Lord, I wanna receive. Now, Faith, Hebrews eleven six. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. For those that come to God must believe that He is, and He is a rewarder of those that seek Him diligently. God is a what? Say rewarder. Everybody say rewarder. Why is it important to understand that? Because when I seek Him, He's going to reward me. Guys, listen to me. You need to expect God to reward you. 
When you honor God in your finances, expect God to reward you. You honor God with your time, expect God to reward you. You honor God in your family, expect God to reward your family. You honor God in every area of your life, your job, your education, whatever it is, your friendships. Honor God in those things. Expect the reward of the Lord to come because faith is operational. Faith says God rewards the people who are willing to honor him and bless him and walk with him. You see, when I honor God by faith and I come to him, I know that he is and that he is a rewarder of those that seek him. So the purpose that I have in my walk with God in the trading floor of heaven is I'm believing God to take me to a greater encounter. He gives me a hundred to start with. I begin trading with him. And as I begin to trade with him and I bring to him finances and I bring him time, my heart is being stirred. I look forward to having greater aspects of encounters with him. But let me just say this. When you begin to trade with the Lord and you begin engaging yourself in the giving and the receiving and the imparting and the sharing, what you're going to find out is God will speed up your time. I have a friend named Gary Cassie. Gary is up in, uh, outside of Columbus, Ohio. He's got a uh, church called Faith Life Now Church. He uh, does a lot of teaching on financial freedom and things like that, and he and his wife do a lot of teaching on marriage and so on and so forth. Gary was broke. I mean, he, he's, I've had him speak at my church in Hartsville a couple of times. I mean, he said I, we were broke. He said we were support. We couldn't pay attention. He said we'd owe everybody and their, and their aunt and uncle money, and he said it was crazy what happened. And he said one day the Lord began to speak to us about finance, and he talks about how he came out of that. He wrote a book called Faith Hunt. And he, he wrote this book, and it's primarily to men. And I want to encourage you men, if you like hunting and you want to learn about faith, get the book, Faith Hunt. And he wrote this book, and he said, I learned how to deer hunt by giving and trading with God. And he wrote the whole book on the premise. He said, I would go out and I would freeze myself to death out on a, out on a stand trying to kill a deer and not finding any. And finally, I, I went to the Lord one day, and the Lord says, Gary, if you will trade with me, I'll bring them to you. And he said, I began sowing a seed and giving an offering for the deer that I wanted to kill. And this is what he said. He said, now every year when I, I he said, I don't have a lot of time to hunt because he's got a TV show, he's got his church, he's got all this stuff he's doing, he's traveling a lot. So he said, I go to the Lord and say, Lord, I love to hunt. I'm going to go deer hunting this year. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to make a trade with you. And he decides what he wants to kill that year. Lord, I want this this." many point buck and I want this many dough and I want this spike buck and I and he'll he'll name everything he'll write it down and he'll name everything to the Lord that he wants to kill that year and then he assesses a value a gift that he's going to give to the Lord. He said, Lord, I'm going to make a trade. And he said, Lord, I'm going to sow an offering. I'm going to give an offering for a trade. And he writes down how much. He figures it up. He takes his check, but he writes a check. He sows a seed and makes a trade with the Lord to his church. And then he goes hunting when hunting season opens. He had a guy come in uh, that was visiting him and his wife were with Gary and Drenda at their house. And Gary was in there on a Saturday morning. And he said, all of a sudden, the Lord spoke to him. This guy's sitting there talking. The Lord says, I've got your, I've got your uh, spike buck ready out there. You need to go get him right now. I'm going to bring him by there for you. 
And Gary looks at the guy and says, excuse me, but I need to leave. Drenda's going to finish breakfast. I'll be back in about 30 minutes. I got to go kill my spike buck. He said, you got to do what? He said, I got to go kill my spike buck. Lord told me my buck's waiting. I got to go get him. I've already sowed my seed. I made a trade with the Lord. I gave God mine first. Now God's giving me his. <coughs> and he said he goes out, gets in his truck, drives out to a stand, crawls up in a stand, sets down spike buck, walks past him. He shoots it, crawls down the stand, pulls it. Pulls it over, throws it in the truck, goes back. 30 minutes later, he walks in the house, puts his gun by the back door, sits down to breakfast. And the guy says, I guess you're going to tell me you, you went and killed a spike buck. He said, I did. Come on, took him out to the truck, showed him the spike buck. And the guy looked at him with his mouth open and said, what just happened? He said, I made a trade with God. And I put my seed before the Lord. This is my harvest. And when God said, go get your buck, I hadn't got time to go hunting. All I got time to do is to kill and shoot. So I shoot and I kill. I went and got my buck because God said it's time. Everybody say, I'm listening. When you make a trade with the Lord, when the trade comes due, you got to step into it. When the time of the trade is at hand, you got to step right into it. Can I just tell you right now, if Gary would have sat in his house and said, but Lord, I've got company right now, I can't do this. If he would not have stepped into that trade, he would have missed the buck. You hear me? You hear me? The enemy could have come in and said, well, no, that's not now. You got, it's not nice and you shouldn't and yeah, yeah, yeah. But he didn't do it. He said, Lord, okay, I'll go get him. He went out and got him coming back. And you know what happened? When he went and shot that buck, it was a testimony to that man sitting in his house to the faithfulness of God in the trade that Gary had made with the Lord. Gary could have not gone out because it wasn't nice to leave your company at the house and miss the testimony, or Gary could have stepped into the trade of the Lord when God said the trade was ready, and because he stepped into the trade when the trade was ready, he brought back the trade, presented it to the man, and the man believed God because of what God said he would do. Everybody say, I want to trade on time. So whenever your heart stirred, you ask a question. Just hang on. You can remember your question? When your heart is stirred, when you're moved by the Spirit, do not let the enemy talk you out of it. You step into that by faith. You see, all of the trades that you make with the Lord are by faith. And you're sowing, you're giving your alms, offerings, first fruits, tithes, whatever. You're giving that in trade to the Lord. So tonight, if you bring an offering to the Lord, whether it's 50 cents, $5, or 500 I don't know. If you feel like there's a trade you need to make with the Lord, you need to say, God, I want to make a trade with you. Now, every tithe is a trade to open the windows of heaven. So yesterday was Sunday when you came on the first day of the week and you brought your tithe to the Lord. When you make a trade with the Lord, you need to bring your tithe and say, Father, by giving the 10%, I'm opening the windows of heaven over my life. I'm making a trade. The tithe is always opening the windows of heaven. It's always rebuking the devourer. It always is. So every time you give your tithe, you make that trade with the Lord. Amen? This is what the trading floor of heaven is about. It's not about God getting your money. It's about you getting the blessing. Because the greater, say the greater, will always bless the lesser. So greater God blesses me in the trades of heaven. Amen.